Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. attention, if you will, with me to the book of Hebrews, and I'm going to be teaching from the 10th chapter of Hebrews, not the entire chapter, but I'm just going to be skipping around and covering several different passages of Scripture, but um, I talked about last Sunday night, or last Wednesday night, rather, I talked about Simon Peter and his boldness for the mission that God had called him to, and uh, the, 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 um, overall subject of boldness has just kind of been in my heart since then and I think about the passages of scripture that teach us that we should not have to be passive about our approach to the Lord that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and uh, there I think there's a difference between boldness and arrogance but that we can come boldly before the throne of God and that we can boldly and we can demonstratively worship the Lord when we are in our corporate services as tonight, that it is not ever out of order, that we can enter in with courage and boldness to a prayer and worship service, a praise and worship service, or into a prayer season in our church. And uh, whether that is when we are corporately together or when we are praying alone in our home or wherever that may be. And I believe that that God is not wanting and has never called the church to be passive. We're not an anemic body of people that are just trying to survive, just trying to make another day. And uh, my wife has a, a nephew who is probably the epitome of laid back. He's he, he may die from a lot of things, but it won't be a nervous condition. I'll promise you that. And uh, and so my son, we were together several years ago, and. So my son spoke to him and said, and called him by name, asked him how you doing. He said, "Just surviving, just surviving." And uh, so I don't think, <laughs> I don't think the Lord has ever called the church to just be surviving, and uh, that we shouldn't be passive in what we're doing, but we need to be intentional. And uh, if you've ever watched somebody hammer a nail, uh, try to hammer in a nail that don't know what they're doing, and they're just all over, it can just you can just go spastic and, and you just want to take the hammer from them. And then when you watch somebody who knows exactly where the head of the hammer is and the head of the nail is, and with just a few swipes in the right direction with the right intention, they can complete the cause. And so I don't want to be wayward and, and awkward in our movements, but I believe that God has called the church to be not passive but direct. There's a direct call of God. And I want to talk about that boldness tonight and I want to talk about how that boldness is given to the church. It was given to the church through the blood of Calvary's cross. Amen. If that doesn't make sense now, it will, I hope, before we leave. The book of Hebrews 10 and 19, the Bible says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest 
by the blood. I know for several services I've been making references to the tabernacle and I'll do that again tonight. It's not because I don't have anything better to talk about, but it's an important thing, the tabernacle and and what it represents. And so the writer of Hebrews says that we should have boldness to enter into the holiest. That is a reference to the holy of holies in the tabernacle. And we have boldness to enter into that holiest place not because we are presumptuous in nature or in our spirit, but we have that boldness because of the blood of the lamb. When the, when the sun shines on an object, you're well aware of the fact that the sun shining on an object casts a shadow. Now it's important to understand that the shadow is not the object. It is just represents uh, the object. It's not it, it's not it in substance, it verifies a reality of the object, but it's not the object itself. Long before the New Testament reality of the lamb slain on a cross, long before that New Testament reality, mankind was introduced to a shadow of this in a distant way in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the, the patriarchs of old prophesied of the events and they saw it as a shadow of things to come. Amen, they didn't fully comprehend its strength, nor could they fully comprehend its impact. Now, I don't want you to think that the following remarks are are made disrespectfully or disparagingly in, in any facet, but I just submit to you that as important as the words of Joel is, that he's gonna pour out of his spirit upon all flesh, and the power of that prophecy for us today means more to us than it could have possibly meant to Joel. Because it was just a shadow. It was just a a muddy substance, if you please. We're rejoicing in it today because we're on this side of Acts 2. We're on this side of of that prophecy coming about. But it didn't make any sense. Perhaps it wasn't spoken with the same clarity, I suppose, as we probably see it today. And I think that those patriarchs prophesied these events, spoke of these events, and they they didn't go home probably feeling like high-fiving their next-door neighbor like we feel like high-fiving our next-door neighbor because it was just a shadow. It didn't really make sense. God spoke something long before it ever came into existence. They didn't comprehend its strength. They didn't comprehend its impact. And so tonight, I want us to examine two things, and that is the Old Testament shadows of the cross, the pointing, those shadowy images of prophecy, and then compare that to the New Testament reality of the cross. And so we have the end of the book, so we're in good shape. And so the study of types and shadows is known as typology, and it's important to understand that a, that a type or a shadow is not the substance. Of course, we get that, but it's just a description or a representation of the substance. Shadows in the Old Testament served only to point. It was just an arrow, if we please. It was just a sign of things that would come. They direct our attention maybe to something better, and that better is, of course, the substance. In Hebrews 10, verse number one tells us that the law was just a shadow. A law was just a sign that was pointing us in the right direction. You won't be on Interstate 10 very long before you start seeing signs that say Pensacola X number of miles. And every now and then you'll come again to another exit or another signpost, and it'll say 
Pensacola now, you're getting closer, but it's just a sign. It's still just a sign. That's not Pensacola. I'm not trying to insult anybody's intelligence. I just want us to understand that the law was not the substance. The law was pointing at that which would come. The law was without form. It was without uh, a reality. The writer made it clear that the law was only a shadow and not to be considered the actual product or the finished product, if we could use our language there. The Lord never intended the law in and of itself to be regarded or worshiped above the substance of what the law was pointing to. The law was to serve simply as a guidepost and to the Hebrew people, it was guiding them to its, fulfill, it, to its fulfillment. It was a sign pointing. However, at the time of Christ, when we come, uh, we find that, that God's people were worshiping the law as though it were the substance itself. I understand we can look in the Old Testament, we see the law, we have great reverence for the law. We come into the New Testament and there are people that are ignoring the birth of Christ. (laughs) They're ignoring the death of Christ. They're ignoring the resurrection of Christ and they're still worshiping the law of Christ because they had failed to interpret the blueprint correctly and because of that, it caused a lot of dissension in the early church among the Jewish believers especially because they failed to understand that the law was just a shadow. It was just talking about something that, which, that would come. It was not the substance, but it was the signpost pointing them to Jesus Christ. And so the patriarchs maintained a strict adherence to the law. If you read about that, you certainly find that in scripture. But no matter how important or no matter how sincere their sacrifices were, uh, no matter how much they were holding on to yesterday, you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. And they were sincerely wrong because the sacrifices that they were trying to hold on to in the New Testament could not remove the burden of sin, just like it couldn't in the Old Testament. If the Levitical sacrifices could have made the worshipers perfect, if it could have made them whole, then there would have been no need for there to be an annual or a yearly sacrifice if they were being made whole. The truth of the matter is is that they were not being made whole. In Hebrews 10, 4, the Bible states that it's not possible for the blood of animals to remove our guilt of sin. And so those animal sacrifices were limited, but I want to remind you that they were just a sign of things that were to come. The blood of bulls and goats served only to point man to the blood that would ultimately and could ultimately take away the sins of the world. Freedom from sin. Now, freedom from sin, that that sounds in and of itself wonderful. It sounds like something to rejoice over and certainly is, but freedom from sin required a payment to satisfy the justice of God, and that payment was the price of blood. Hebrews 9.22 said, for without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin, removal. And so to remit sin, the blood had to be free from the blemish of sin. I understand that I'm preaching largely to the choir tonight, but let's just let it be underscored in our life again. Uh, Until this sinless substitute would come into the world, God allowed man to offer animals for a person's sins under the Old Testament. However, he was the only sinless sacrifice that there could possibly be. So God chose to bridge that gulf 
between himself and man. The remission of man's sin required shed blood of a spotless and a sinless lamb. So that spotless and sinless lamb would need to be a man to fully identify with humanity. This lamb couldn't be a lamb, but the lamb needed to be a man. And so the birth of Christ was a, was a part of a divine plan. And so I know we are in, in a season of celebrating the birth of Christ, but we need to understand this was far more than a baby in a manger. This was far more than just a reason to exchange some gifts. This is far more than just a day off and a chance to eat around the table and fellowship. The birth of Jesus Christ was putting a divine plan into action. Galatians 4 and 4, the Bible says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. And everything that the law had shadowed had been pointing Israel to its redeemer, Jesus Christ. I mean, this is not just about the blood of bulls, not just about the blood of goats, but we are pointing to something far more important. First Timothy 3 and 16, the Bible says, and, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. These are not random acts, but God is divinely orchestrating all of this for the redemption of mankind. I'm talking about the projection of Calvary's cross or the projection of a sinless sacrifice and the reality of a sinless sacrifice. Praise God. All the Old Testament types and shadows were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. All of the types and shadows of the Old Testament were fulfilled in this baby in a manger. Praise God. In Matthew 5 and 17, Jesus said that he had come to fulfill the law. I have come to make perfect the law. Jesus Christ was not the shadow he is now the substance, hallelujah. Never has a life been so completely devoted to following the will of God. By obedience, he fulfilled the first covenant, which was a covenant of promise, but it had the power, but without the power rather to change lives. The first covenant, the law, was holy, and the law contained many, and does contain many wonderful, wonderful promises. But because of the sin nature of man, because sin was entered into mankind, man could not in and of himself live up to the requirements of the law. We couldn't today live up to the requirements of the law. I just wanna tell you something that, that not as an informative statement, but just as a reminder that you can't live for God without his spirit. You can't just take the book and say, with just sheer willpower, I'm gonna do what this book requires of me. We need the help of the Lord to lead us and to guide us and to strengthen us. The Bible says he will lead us and guide us into all truth. Amen, we need God's word. We need his spirit written upon, not just a page, not upon a stone, but upon our heart. Because of that sinful nature, we couldn't live up to the requirements. And so the purpose of the law was really to reveal man's inability to do this on your own. You can't be saved by good works. I think no one understands that more than the audience that I'm talking to here tonight. 
I think there's a lot of good nature and a lot of good works among us this evening, but that's not going to save us. Without a doubt, mankind needed a savior. According to Hebrews 8 and 6, Jesus Christ established the second covenant, which was a better covenant. The new covenant does not depend on man's ability to fulfill the law. The new covenant does not depend on my ability to have the strength to live up to the law. The new covenant establishes that through Jesus Christ, we enter into right standing before God. Jesus paid the total price for our sins by his death on the cross. I know that we are in a time of celebrating his birth, but can I tell you that without his death, burial, and resurrection, it would all be a moot point. It would all be for naught. Jesus did something that no priest under the law, under the old covenant, had ever done before. Amen. When Jesus made his sacrifices, he needed to only make one. When the priests made their sacrifices, when they cleaned everything up at the end of the day, it was not over because we will be back and and we will be doing this again. But when Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary, he completed the work. Amen. Hebrews 10 and 12 said that when the sacrifice was complete, he sat down. <laughs> Amen. He sat down because the job was done. The mission was accomplished. Praise God. The statement emphasizes, I believe it emphasizes the significance of Christ's atoning work. No other sacrifice could be so completely effective. In one offering, every debt of sin had been paid in full and Jesus Christ satisfied all of them in one. The Lord not only provided man's debt for the sin to be removed, but he also gave man the ability to live without sin in the future. Amen. You see, there's a lot of people think you could just sin a little every day. But the Holy Ghost gives us the power not only to be forgiven of yesterday's sins, but the Holy Ghost can keep us and guide us into a sinless future. Praise God. Amen. I, I, I hope we all believe that. Amen. That we, we can live for God without sin. I know that we fail and we falter, we stumble and we make, error, make mistakes and we err in our walk with God, but that shouldn't be a daily thing. Amen, There's, that's, we shouldn't be caught up in besetting sins. I will say again tonight that, that at some point we gotta quit asking for, for, for forgiveness and start asking the Lord for deliverance. If we're constantly having to wash the same things off of our hands, then we need to be delivered and not just forgiven. Is that all right? Yeah. Amen, quoting from Jeremiah 31, 33, the writer of Hebrews 10, 16 says this, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. It will no longer be relegated to stone. It will no longer be relegated to a parchment, but it's going to be written into their, into their heart and into their mind. I think verse 17 is a profound statement because when we follow that, he's going to write his law in our heart and our mind. He said, in their sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. Amen, think about that. It's, it's, it's impossible for us to comprehend the magnitude of that statement because under the old covenant, every sacrifice served only as a reminder of sin. But Jesus is saying, I'm gonna write my law in their heart. I'm gonna write it in their mind and I am not gonna remember their sin ever again. The blood of animals could not remove guilt 
It couldn't remove the burden of sin. But Calvary didn't just remove sin, but it removed the guilt of sin. <laughs> Amen. The blood of animal sacrifices could only pardon that sin, or not pardon that sin, but push back that sin for a season. But it couldn't do anything about the guilt of sin. But the Holy Ghost can take care of the guilt of sin. Never should we ever be pompous or arrogant about our past, but I want to be able to rejoice over the fact that my past is in the past. Amen. I want to leave it under the blood. I want to place it under the blood. When Mephibosheth, in the book of Samuel, when Mephibosheth, who the Bible says was lame of his feet, he limped and hobbled wherever he went. It was an obvious thing to all who knew him or all who could behold him. He, his, his infirmity was not something that could be hidden uh, necessarily from the wandering eyes or minds of men. But David said on more than one occasion, I want you to sit at my table. And he said, I want you to sit there another time as a son. Amen. He said, I want you to sit there at the king's table. I want you to be there. And just to remind you that when Mephibosheth was sitting at the table, his infirmity, which was in his feet, was under the table. And can I tell you that when we are in the presence of the Lord, that our infirmities, our past, are under the blood. Amen. There's a lot of things tonight that the blood is covering. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you glad that our sins are not being just projected up on the screens for everybody to see tonight but they're covered by the blood of the lamb that blood has given us power Jesus Christ provided us with remission of sin Acts 2.38 is a powerful powerful passage of scripture because it doesn't just tell us what to do but it tells us as a, a result of what's going to happen amen our sins are going to be remitted for the remission the removal of your sin I'm glad tonight that my sin wasn't just rinsed off I'm glad that it wasn't just put up on a shelf to remind me the next time I fail somebody to come pull it out and dust it off and bring up all of my bloody past but he said I'll put it as far as the east is from the west now Never to be remembered again. Praise the Lord. Praise God. So we look at our text tonight in Hebrews 10, 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You see, under the old covenant, God ordained that his presence would dwell in the holiest of holies. And that access to the holiest of holies was restricted to just the high priest and he could only go there one time a year. And so in the new covenant, through the blood of Jesus, God grants his people, that's you and I, access to his presence. That means that this morning, amen, when you were in prayer in your home, that you had access to the throne of God. You didn't have to wait till six or 7.30 tonight. You didn't have to wait until you got to a certain address, a longitude, a latitude. We didn't have to wait till everything got just right in focus for us to come into the presence of the Lord. Praise God. Amen. We can come. I don't know if we understand. I don't mean this in, a, in an arrogant way, but I don't really understand think that we understand the power and the privilege of prayer. What an opportunity it is. There are people tonight that are frantic. They don't know what to do. Their life is falling apart and they're sitting on a bar stool trying to find hope. They're putting a needle in their vein trying to find an answer. They're living promiscuous sexual lifestyles because everything else around them has fallen apart. But can I tell you tonight that because we have the blood of Jesus Christ, <laughs> we have the privilege and the opportunity 
opportunity, if I may say it, we have the boldness to come into the presence of the Lord. Lift our hands and our voices, not arrogance, but boldness, boldness. Praise God. God grants his people access to his presence. Now, that kind of sounds warm and fuzzy around the edges, but there are some requirements. Absolutely. I believe that true worship demands that we have a heart totally devoted to God. I will say again tonight, without, without shame, you might praise God with sin in your life, but you won't worship him with sin in your life. Because worship, worship requires total devotion to the Lord. Total devotion to the Lord. God promised to write his law upon our heart, upon our mind. However, his law will not be written in a heart that is not totally devoted to him. Secondly, we must at all cost hold fast, as the scripture says, to the profession of our faith. I wanna tell you something today. If there's ever been a moment, an hour, that we need to hold fast to the profession of our faith, we are living in that moment right now. Because you see, as long as our faith remains established upon the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, our salvation will never falter. If I'm dependent on me, we're in trouble. I don't mean this bad, but if we're dependent on you, we're in trouble. But if I have my faith founded in him, then I am not gonna falter. We have an assurance that one day we're gonna rule and reign with him forever. Thirdly, no man, no person is an island. Hebrews 10, 24, the Bible says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love to good works. Now the phrase that is used here in Hebrews, let us consider, means let us observe fully. Let us consider. That don't mean just to kind of think about something, let a little pass and thought through our mind, but it means to observe fully, to observe something fully. Have you ever owned something for a long time and you didn't even know it? they had a little button over on this side? Because we've never observed it fully. We just kind of <laughs> I caught some of us there, didn't I? I said, well, looky here. Because we've never really observed it. We just kind of took it for what it was worth and we just kind of went on our merry way. Adams Clark commentary says this, let us diligently and attentively consider each other's trials, difficulties, and weaknesses. Let us consider, let us fully observe attentively consider each other's trials, difficulties, or weaknesses. You see, it's pretty easy to appreciate someone's strengths. We love what people bring to the table. But it's often more difficult to observe carefully someone's life and view their weaknesses. Amen, their difficulties, their trials. And so we need to take an appreciative, um, if I could say it this way, we need to take a compassionate look at one another and not condemn, but build up. Now I'm just gonna be plain, as plain can be right here, so just buckle up, okay? If you were subject to, to some things that other people have been subjected to for years, you would probably be the same way. And so these little nuances that people have that just drive us nuts, I warned you. 
we would probably have all of those same things if we had been subjected to all the things they've been subjected to in their life. And so the writer here says, consider, let's observe fully. Let's consider attentively. Let's consider their trials, people's difficulties, people's weaknesses, what they're going through. And, and, and they're not bringing some strength to the table right now. They probably have a strength on the table. It's just kind of all covered up in their weakness right now. Amen. But let's take a real compassionate look at one another. And let's don't condemn them, but let's build them up. That's the responsibility of the church. I'm in the book now. I am, I am dead center of the book right now. It is the responsibility of the church to build one another up, to lift one another, not to write one another off or put somebody on the back shelf. And so we need to do, what we need to do is look into the life of each individual and we can look in their life and see what they could do or we could do collectively to make the body of Christ stronger. I've used this illustration at the risk of offending people before and I'm not trying to offend people, but I'd never really like bluegrass music. I don't have a, any CDs, none, no, no, no iTunes downloads, none of them is gonna be bluegrass music. That's just not my deal. But here's, let me tell you this. I love to hear it or see it live. Now you say, well, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. It's not my favorite, is it, how you say, genre of music? <laughs> Pulled out that big word, didn't I? <laughs> of music, but when you, I have a great appreciation for the fact that it's not going through an amplifier, nobody's tweaking it, nobody's fattening the notes or whatever, it's just, it is what it is. It's either there, you can either produce that yourself live or you, it's, it's like get in, get out, get ran over situation. And I have a great appreciation for that. And so whenever I was ever exposed to it to see someone play that live, it changed my opinion about it. And I, I, still, I didn't run up by any CDs. Still not my favorite thing to listen to, but I have an appreciation for it. So are you following where I'm going now with, I'm really, I never left Hebrews with all that. I just went on a little journey. Sometimes because we don't like something about someone, we fail to appreciate the good things about them. And the body of Christ is together to build one another up. Amen. Look, we all get on somebody's nerves. At some point, at some point, at some point you got on your mother's nerves. And nobody can love you like your mother. But at some time your mother said, you know, I just ought to wipe you out. Just take you out right now. And if they didn't say that to you, they thought that to you. And so we don't stand a chance of not ever having some cross thread or something wrong. But, but he said, let us consider. Let's consider one another. Let's build one another up. The body of Christ is comprised by many, many different members. And can I tell you that without question, we need everyone. We need everyone in particular. There's none better than the other. There's none weak. There's none worse than the other. Amen. The Bible says in Romans 15 and 1 that the weak ought to bear the infirmities of the 
are the strong are to bear the infirmities of the weak and can I tell you that that, that can change, that can vacillate from time to time, from season to season. I may be the strong one tonight, but you know who knows a phone call between now and in the morning. I may be the weak one tomorrow and needing the strength of someone else and so we ought to, as the body of Christ and I'll move on, but as the body of Christ we ought to build one another up and lift one another up. Amen. <laughs> Fourthly, out of a list of 15 if you're counting. Fourthly, we come teasing. We cannot forsake regular times of fellowship together. This is so vital to our spiritual survival because in order to build one another up, you gotta be around one another. <laughs> in, in a day of social media where we're just connected through Bluetooth and through Wi-Fi and things of that nature, it's really easy to get disconnected from people. I'm glad for the connectivity that we have and we can, through various means of social media, stay in touch with our friends and we can watch their families grow and change and watch their children have children, etc. But I wanna tell you that if we're gonna build one another up, we need to be together to do that. Amen. In the New Testament, they had no church buildings as we know them today. Therefore, they met in synagogues. They didn't say, well, we don't have a church, we're gonna stay home. They met in synagogues or they went house to house. Amen. They, thankfully, today we do have church buildings. And for a few hours every week, we can enjoy even some limited interaction with one another. And that's extremely important that we are together on a regular basis, not only for worship and corporate fellowship, amen, but we need to lift one another up. We need to encourage one another, amen. There are just some people, they're just encouraging to be around. Can I get an amen about that? I mean, they're just encouraging to be around. They just, there's just something about their smile. You can't get that over the phone. You can't get that in an email, a text message. You can't get that any other way, but something about just being in their presence. The command of Hebrews 10 and 25 is to exhort one another. This command is directed to the collective body, not to just those in pulpit ministry. Amen, the responsibility tonight is not just laid on me because my night it was my night to hold the microphone. This is not just my responsibility tonight to exhort one another, but the collective the collective body is to exhort one another, to lift one another up, amen, to pray for them, to help them, to lift them up. Fellowship provides us with an opportunity to exhort one another. The Bible says in Hebrews 10 and 35, that he admonishes us, he said, I want you to call to remembrance former days. That's an interesting admonition. Amen. The writer of Hebrews encouraged them to remember former days. Remember. Remember when you were enlightened with the truth of God's word. Amen. Remember how you held your ground through tough times. Remember how you stood when it would have been easier to sit. Remember how you kept walking when it would have been easier to turn around and run. Remember how you just stood when you could have thrown in the towel. Amen. What brought them through? He said remember, remember yesterday remember what brought you where you are I'm going to tell you today amen I'm thankful for memory lane I don't want to live there, I don't want to camp out in yesterday, I don't want to try drive my tent stakes back down amen back 30 years ago but I'm glad 30 years ago happened because it brought me to where I am today and so he admonished them remember the former days, remember the former days praise God <laughs> By, 
by my chair. We just came across it a few months ago, but by my chair in our in our home, I have a picture of my wife and I. Just a few days before we got married, we were uh, we were really I mean we were really on the high end of things that night. We were at the Golden Corral. So there's two people in this picture you can scarcely recognize. But I want to remember the former days. The former days. We've been through a lot since then. A lot we could have never imagined, both good and bad. But when I look at that picture, it reminds me of the former days. The former days. Amen. I'm glad that we are where we are, but I want to remember the former days. It was the faithfulness of God that brought us where we are today. God has never let us down, has he? God has never been late. God has always been on time. In our times of trials and our times of tests, we need to remember how God has brought us through in the past. God has been so faithful. God has been so faithful. You know what? God's not a cheerleader. I want you to hear me tonight. He may give us a word and never speak again about that situation. God may not be there every day to say, you can make it, you can make it. Amen. So when the Lord gives me something, I've learned to have the good sense to write it down. Amen. Because I may have to dig my way and claw my way back to that promise but I'm going to stand on that little piece of real estate and if the Lord said I'm going to keep you through this if the Lord said you're going to make it through this it doesn't matter how hard the rain's coming down or how bad the wind's blowing I'm going to crawl back to that little piece of real estate and I'm going to stand because God said right there you can make it I'm going to recall the former days Amen. And so we need to meditate upon his promises and, and know that we serve a God that is faithful and true. Amen. He is faithful and true. I'm going to ask our musicians to come, please. Amen. There is no question that the Lord blesses us with material things here on earth. It has been our, a custom in our home. I'm not suggesting you do this. I'm just saying it's been a custom in our home for many, many years on Christmas Eve. Our family sits down and we talk about the things that we're thankful for in that year. Each one of us take a turn to talk about what God's done in our life and maybe even some areas that we want to improve on. But I just had to say this year again that I was very thankful for a God that has supplied some of my wants this year. It really has. I didn't need them, I just wanted them. And I wanted them because I'm made out of the same thing you're made out of. And I'm very thankful that, that God just blesses us. And I'm glad he blesses you. He's blessed us, and I say this sincerely and humbly, he's blessed us beyond what we deserve. But you see, we have to realize that some of the material things that God blesses us with are not solely for our benefit. Now this is where the lines get a little bit squiggly because we are blessed to be a blessing. And whatever God gives us, I heard a man say many years ago, hold it loosely and it won't hurt so bad when God requires it of you again. So we're just going to hold it. I'm just going to hold it loosely. 
because if God asks for it back or a portion of it back, I want to be able to do that without any gall in my heart. The writer of Hebrews tells of the generosity of those to whom he's writing. These individuals, these individuals gave of their own substance to help those that were in need. These Jewish believers understood something. They understood that what we possess doesn't really belong to me. God loaned it to me. So if Brother Everett loans me a shovel and then comes back and gets it, it would be kind of silly of me to be angry at him. It wasn't mine to begin with. He just loaned it to me. It was mine for a season. And so these Jewish people that were receiving this letter understood that. They gave. They were a very generous people. They gave because their hope was not in silver and gold, but their hope was in heaven. The 35th verse of Hebrews 10, we're exhorted not to throw away our confidence for the reward is exceedingly great. Hebrews 11 and 6 says that God is a rewarder of them that do diligently seek him. And so we have to come to an understanding that, that what we have is not obtained by what, we, what we've done to earn it. Amen. Salvation solely is an act of faith. The Old Testament even taught us this. In the book of Habakkuk chapter, chapter 2 and verse number 4, it's later quoted in the New Testament but it is quoted from the Old Testament, the book of the minor prophet Habakkuk says, the just shall live by his faith, by his faith. And so those patriarchs of the Old Testament look for the promise of the Messiah's coming. Their faith was in him in like fashion. I believe that we must have that kind of faith as well. So to try to gain salvation through our own works or even maintain salvation through our own strength means that we would be ignoring the atoning work of Calvary. And I'm coming back to Calvary now. God's people are those that walk in faith and we rely upon Jesus Christ for their salvation and we understand this, that we not only need God deeply, but we need God, we need God intimately. I know we get a little bit uncomfortable or some people get a little bit uncomfortable when you use language like that, but we need God deeply and we need him intimately. This should be a personal, intimate walk with the Lord. We need to be obedient to his word. Now, we're not serving God from some legalistic point of view, but we need to serve God out of love and our desire to please him. Now, in the Old Testament, I'll ask you to stand, if you will. The people of God, I'm coming back to try to pull this into a, bow if I can in the Old Testament the people of God saw only types and shadows remember we discussed that about two hours ago types and shadows they were just looking through the lens they could barely just see the outline of it they could see things that were on the horizon but it made no sense to them the scriptures we rejoice over in Isaiah Many of those prophetic words about Jesus Christ, Isaiah didn't feel nearly as warm and fuzzy about that as we do. He said something that made no sense to no one, including himself. 
We're rejoicing about it today because we're on the fulfillment side of all this. But I think some of these patriarchs of old left this world thinking, I wonder what that was about. Can I just, <laughs> I'm not trying to be, bring it too much into a modern day, but I mean, if they're just sitting around the barbershop, you don't think somebody said, what in the world were you talking about? I don't know. I don't know. But God told me to say it and I said it. They couldn't experience any of that stuff. Furthermore, they couldn't comprehend it. They just saw it from a distance. It was something they longed to embrace. Don't you just think it's going to be so cool? I think heaven's going to be so cool. I'm not talking about golden streets and gates of pearl. But when Joel realizes that it really came to pass, <laughs> when Joel understands that he really did pour out his spirit upon all flesh, wow. When Isaiah hears that it really did come with stammering lips, I just think weird, I get it, but I'm just, I'm just thinking heaven's gonna be so cool. I'd love to be standing there when they find out, hey, it happened. It happened. It happened. Amen. They simply saw it from a distance. Now listen to what the scripture has to say about them. Right here. In, in Hebrews 11, I think it is, 13. These all died in faith. You see, we have them in a museum in our mind. They're heroes. They've got little plaques under their lights are shining upon them. But they died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And with a shadow and a type I know I'm taking a little extra time, but I believe it'll be worth it. With only a shadow and a type, they were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed, amen, that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth with just a shadowy substance. <laughs> they were convinced, sold, persuaded, embraced, confessed. We're not of this world. Amen. Then the day came for God's plan from the foundation of time to be fulfilled. The Lamb of God who appeared in the Old Testament is just a type and a shadow. <laughs> Signified, symbolized by countless animal sacrifices was born in a manger, raised in a carpenter's home, lived a very noble life, three and a half years of ministry, went to a cross of Calvary, shed his blood, became the sinless sacrifice. John saw him for who he was, not just a kin folk. He said, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. My God, amen. He went to Calvary's cross to offer a sacrifice for man's sin once and for all. He shed innocent blood to pay the price. And he sat down because it's done. We're finished. We're finished. What does that mean to us? 
means many things. But one thing to stay in harmony with tonight, it means that we can boldly walk into the presence of God. We can come with our prayers and supplications. We can come with our praise and our needs. And we don't have to be ashamed about anything because he has given us boldness by the blood of Calvary's cross. I know it has been reiterated time and time and time again, but when he said it is finished, the veil was torn in twain. I mentioned a moment ago the holiest of holies, one man, one time a year, but now God was saying, I wanna show you something. You wanna go in? Help yourself. Help yourself. Can you imagine, here's my weird mind, just 30 more seconds. Can you imagine the first guy, the first peeking in? So this is what it's all about. So tonight, we don't have to pack our bags and go to a temple or a tabernacle and, and ask somebody else to go on our behalf. But tonight, we like David can say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. <laughs> if an illegitimate child was born in a family, 10 generations, it was 10 generations before that family could go into the house of God. That's why it's important for you to read the closing scriptures of Ruth where the lineage of David is recorded. And David was in that 10th generation. That's why he said, I was glad when they said unto me. I'm not trying to insult anybody's intelligence, but just think about tonight, if you could come to church here, but you had to sit in the parking lot. You had to stand outside. You had to catch somebody on the way out and say, hey, what did they sing? What did they preach on? Who all was there? And somebody had to try to break off little pieces of a service and give it to you. David said, finally, I get to go in there. Tonight, we are in here. Not just in this house. I think we ought to just come down to the front. Can we do that? Amen. I'm not trying to belabor the issue, but let's just enjoy the presence of the Lord. Can we do that? We're gonna lift our voices in song. We're gonna... We're gonna praise and magnify the King of kings. We are in his presence. Thank you, Lord, for the blood. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.